Shalom Aleichem, Erev Tov. In order to answer a question that was asked before, why are we doing Misat Tasharim in the middle of a Gemara class in Agarata? The reason for this is we had done the sugya already. And as we go through the different commentaries in the sugya, one of the commentaries which we are reading is the commentary of Harav Kuk in Enaya. And Harav Kuk says that in order to understand one category, you have to be familiar with the definition of a chasid as explained by Harav a chasid. That's the Ramchal in his book, Mishnah Sharim. So we took a tangent, and the tangent will either end this week or next week, depends how much ground we cover. After which, we will jump back into the piece of Arav Kuk. So for those of you who are in the classroom, you should understand. For those who are listening to the podcast as they're coming out, hopefully this will now make a little more sense to you. We are in Mishnah Sharim, in the middle of chapter 19 regarding Hasidut. Ramchal told us that there are two elements of Hasidut. There's Ben Adam Makom, piety between us and the creator of the universe. And then there's Hasidut, piety between us and HaKadosh Baruch and other people. Ben Adam And he gave examples of the first category, and he gave examples, many more examples of the second category. He's going to do the same thing today, but instead of giving examples from the real world, he's going to give you examples from the Gemara, throughout the Gemara, different places where you find Hasidim. And the Hasidim are defined as Hasidim because of very specific actions that they take. And those actions are going to shed light for us on what exactly does it mean to be a Hasid. Suffice it to say that most of what people think makes a person a Hasid is not what, according to Chachamim, make them a Hasid. Now, I'll bring you a proof to all of the things that I said from the writings of our rabbis. Even though these matters are simple, but they don't need any proof, nonetheless, I'm still going to prove it to you. Why? Because in Judaism, you can't ever tell a person, rely on me. I'm a big person, so trust me. I'm a big chacham, trust me. Rabbeinu Abraham ben Rambam in his introduction to the Agadah, says that there's no person on earth who can say, you know why, I'm so great, now you have to listen to everything that I tell you. That's not a way in which we accept anything. He said not according to the Torah for sure, and even according to human logic. Even big people make mistakes. Sometimes they make big mistakes. And a person, in order for us to accept what a person is saying, they have to be able to shed with us some logical explanation, if it's a logical conversation, or if it's a halachic conversation, a halachic explanation for why it is they're saying what they're saying. There's no such thing as, oh, the rabbi said, that's it. We can't ask any more questions. What do you mean? The rabbi also has to prove himself to us. We're not, we're not in a threatening way, not in a, a way of chutzpah, but in a way of, I'm not obligated to obey a rabbi, I'm obligated to obey a kadosh baruch Yes, the ways of chachamim. So the rabbi who I'm talking to has to be able and willing to show me a source for what it is that he's saying. And in the world that we live in today, source-based conversations are very much despised. Because if we were going to open up a Mishneh Torah or a Shulchan Aruch and start showing them to the Jewish community, all of the Orthodox Jews in the world would get very scared. Why? Because everything that they do is in direct contradiction to that which is written inside of the Shulchan Aruch and the Mishneh Torah. And because of that, very often rabbis will tell you, believe what I say because I said so. Good for you, because you said so. But in my religion, I have an obligation to research everything for myself. And so the Ramchal, as great as the Ramchal is, and as logical as the conversation he's having is, says, you can't just rely on me. I must bring you proof for the things that I'm about to tell you. Chapter 27, uh, page 27b. A rabbi asked Rabbi Zakai. The students of Rabbi Zakai asked him. What made you live such a long life? The idea here is that a person is living a long life because of the, the piety that they have. The, and this is a series of Chachamim that were asked different questions. Why are you living a long life? Anyone's familiar with Masechah Megillah? There are a number of Chachamim that were asked this question. And clearly when a person is asking this question, Rabbi, what gave you such a long life? The assumption is that... Yeah, okay, they live a long life. What's the assumption though? Why? Why do they live a long life? Very good. It's not an accident. So if you see someone living a long life, you have to ask, 
What made you live life? I mean, what, are, what mitzvah did you do right? I once visited a lady in her old age home in Baltimore. She was 104 years old. Mrs. Abramson. I remember her until today. Four. I remember her until today. Lucid, like clear mind. And I went, I said, Mrs. Abramson, what made, you know, 104, what do you attribute this to? She said, listen, Rabbi, I grew up in a family that my father was ordained as a rabbi in Poland. He ran away to America, pretended he wasn't Jewish, except Yom Kippur, he would show up. So he had lived on a farm out in Pennsylvania somewhere. And the one thing he told us in life, don't eat pig. And my whole life, no matter what I did, no matter how disconnected I was with my Judaism, any restaurant, any fancy dinner I was invited, anything, no pig. So I think that I lived a long life because of this mitzvah that I didn't eat pig. Who knows? It could be, but it begs a question. You ask Chacham, why are you alive for so long? He has an answer for you. Amarnahim, he tells them a very unusual answer. Miyamai, my whole life. You see, Mazat Sharim? It should be on your phone. It's in front of you. Don't sit here looking at me. Chapter 19 of Mesilat Sharim. Google it. Amarnahim, he tells them, Miyamai lo hishtanti betoch arba amoshatibinachan. Don't kiss those brushes, please. I never in my life urinated within four amots from where I prayed. What's the halakha? If you are, you play in, play in a field. Yeah? Now you have to go to the bathroom. Are you allowed to go to the bathroom there? Are you allowed to urinate there? Yeah, or you wait the, the amount of time that passes. I think it's four amot. You wait, and then you can go to the bathroom there. Meaning that place holds holiness for a little bit of time. And then, and then you, you can use it. He said, I never urinated in the place that I prayed. V'lo chinit yishem and I never in my life called my friend by a nickname. What do you mean by a nickname? By a different name. Can I, like what? What are you calling him? A degrading name, you would think. A bad name. Oh, very well. So Tosafot says, I don't understand. What's the big deal? I mean, everybody can, you can't call anybody by a bad name. It doesn't make you a chassid because you don't call people by a bad name. You can't walk around calling people stupid. Must be that it's not talking about that. Must mean he's talking about not even using a nickname for them. You know, people have a... a Marlene, that's a good one. I'm going to get that. That's a very good point when Marlene said respectful. Some would say, my name is Yonatan. Some people call me Yoni. Why? I don't know. I used to have a website, rabbiyoni.com. Yeah? No, you don't. No. And yeah, too many years. That was a period in my life where I had bad marketing advice. Go by Rabbi Yoni. Somehow it stuck like a uh, shemesh In any case, the moment I left San Diego, I changed my name, Yonatan. Nobody ever called me. You go other places, you call me Yoni. Nobody's talking about. And uh, the the nickname. It's not a nickname. It's a name that I could go. Still, you don't call him that. Elchanan, Elchanan. Don't call him uh, Elks. I don't know. Don't call. Him. Or, you know, like in high school, that kid, oh, we call him Shorty. Don't call him Shorty. Call him by his name. Yeah, you know, David. That's his name. Don't call him Shorty. He was careful never to call anybody by any nickname. Why? Marlene gave a good answer. To show respect. Minasnam. And there's many ways to read these Gemalot. But uh, let's understand it this way. It's a respectful thing. You go to the DMV, they call you by a certain name. You go to work, you go by a profession, you're in court, they call you by a certain name. You show respect to people by calling them their given name. And I never skipped the Kiddush of Shabbat morning. It's an optional Kiddush. Right, what is it? But he could do Kiddush on something else, no? On Shekhar, on something, some Chamal Medina. Yeah, he can do... Very good. These are three acts of piety. One concerning prayer, one concerning relations with other people, and one concerning Shabbat. And then he tells the following story. I had an old mother. Ben Ishchai asks here, why an old mother? What's the story? Why old? So he had a mother. Who cares what age she was? For a different shoe and a different time. When we learn Masech Megillah together, we'll study. She once sold the kippah from her head. Her head covering. And she bought me with the money that she sold her head covering. She bought me wine. For Kiddush 
I mean, that she knew that he was so careful not to skip Kiddush, that she even sold her head covering to buy him wine for Kiddush. What's so special here? Every, you all do Kiddush every day. What's that, Shabbat? What's so special? He could He really couldn't afford it. Wine was very expensive. And he still, even though he had other options for Kiddush, went out of his way to do Kiddush specifically on wine. I don't understand. If I go somewhere and they do Kiddush on something else, vodka, I don't know what to do, I leave. What kind of idiot makes Kiddush on vodka? Who? Idiots. Well, who does Kiddush? HaKadosh Baruch Hu Chachamim said wine. You, you want to use something else, you're allowed even to drink that much alcohol in one sitting in vodka. You could really do that. You fulfill Kiddush. These people are careful about everything. Suddenly comes Kiddush, it doesn't make a difference. We could do it in a vodka. You have wine in the refrigerator. How can you skip wine? I don't have another word. See, I, I call people by bad names. Unlike. Uh, yeah. Before they had Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> Once they had Alcoholics Anonymous, then people shouldn't be drinking like that anymore. Because all the books I've seen that you have, like the, the, the Sephardic books, and everything, it says, it says you make Kiddush and wine or grape juice. I've never, I've never seen make leper, 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 but, but If you don't have wine, there are conversations. What do you do if you can't get wine? But which person today can't get wine? But they could get a bottle of vodka. Here you find chasidut, piety, as it's related to mitzvot. He's already exempt. That money that can't make kiddush on wine is exempt. He was so poor that his mother had to sell her head covering. But because of midat chasidut, he was careful to do kiddush on wine. And look how Tosafot explained that he didn't even call his friends. It wasn't derogatory names he didn't call his friends. He didn't call them any nicknames. There's a story about him that he sold his belt and replaced it with a, like a very cheap reed, you know, a rope that he tied around his waist in order so that he could afford wine for Kiddush Hayom. So you find here a chassid, and there's two types of chassidut. He's very pious about mitzvot between him and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he's also very pious about mitzvot between him and other people. The two elements that Ramchal tells us are found inside of a chassid. Ojan, furthermore, Masechet Megillah, Shalu Talmidah V'Tarbi Elazar Ben Shamua, Shamua, however you want to read his name. They asked him a question once, his students, Bama Ha'erachta Yamim, what made you live so long? Amar lehem, he tells them, I never used the Bedakneset as a shortcut. Are you allowed to use the Bedakneset as a shortcut? No. Unless you're in the Bedakneset, it's not a shortcut. Meaning, you can't, so this Bedakneset is not relevant, but our other Bedakneset downstairs, if you want to go from the main doors to the bathroom, you're not allowed to walk through there. You have to go around the building. Unless you're doing something in the Bet HaKneset. If you go say Tilim or you're putting a Sidur away, then you can walk out any door that you want. But you can't use a Bet HaKneset as a shortcut. There, there are some exceptions to that rule. Give me an exception to that rule. I believe the Gemara mentions that if you build the Bet HaKneset in the middle of a road, like in a place that used to be a walkway, that people can still walk through it. You turn my street into a Knesset, I still can walk to my street. I saw in England there's a lawsuit over a house. The house was built on a historic walkway. And people are just showing their, their rights by walking through this people's living room. 150 years ago was a historic walkway, and according to British law, they still are allowed to walk through your house. So just for the fun of it, no reason at all, 6 o'clock in the morning, they walk through your living room. <laughs> now if it's true or not, I don't know, I didn't research it. All I can tell you is, this is the same. So even in a situation where it was permissible to use a bit of Knesset as a shortcut, Rabbi Al-Azhar was careful not to use a bit of Knesset as a shortcut. The next one. And I never stepped over the heads of the holy people of Israel. What does it mean, step over their heads? How did they used to sit in a shiur in the olden days? Not like today, you're all sitting in chairs and tables. 
People were sitting on the floor. All the on the floor. Maybe the chacham was sitting in a chair. But everybody else was sitting on the floor. And so now you're a big tamik chacham. You have to come to the front of the room. Are you allowed to step over other people? You are allowed to, but the If you're a tamik chacham and you're supposed to go up there to the front, you're allowed to step over them. You ever see these guys, what they call them? They're crowd surfing. They jump into the crowd and they carry them. Yeah, this is Alam Rosh Am Kodesh. This is the. The Amkadosh, this, this is a holy people's head. They're surfing on it. You're allowed to as a Tamikacham to do it, but he was careful not to do it. Why? So as never to appear that he is degrading Jewish people by stepping over them. You find piety in relation to respect to the Beda Knesset. And also respect of humanity. He didn't want to appear, he didn't want to appear as if he is degrading Jewish people. Furthermore, there's another story. The students of Rav Perida ask him the following question. I feel like it's supposed to say Bameh, but I don't have another edition in front of me. What made you live so long? He tells them, Nobody ever made it to the Bet Midrash before I did. You always have those people that are first. They come first to Shiu, they come first to Bet Knesset. He says, Nobody ever made it there before me. What does it mean? I didn't recite a Beracha in the presence of a Kohen. What's he talking about? Berkat Amazon, which, what's. What's, what's the connection? What's the halakha? The Kohen is supposed to say, say the whole Berkat Amazon. It used to be in the olden days. Come to our Berkat we still do it. If you go to Yemenite Berkat they still do it. One person says Berkat Amazon for everybody. What's the point? And you say, yeah, and then you do it on your own anyway. So why are you asking permission for me to say Berkat Amazon? The whole purpose of a zimun is to ask permission for the people in the room, can I say Berkat Amazon for you? And they say yes, and then they listen. You can't talk. You listen to the person saying Berkat Amazon for you. Later we develop this minhag, everyone saying Berkat Amazon on their own. But the whole purpose, who does a zimun? This whole conversation is not regarding the zimun. I can also say, you could say, it doesn't make a difference. Whatever you want, everybody knows how to say that. What respect do you give to the Kohen? You give the Kohen respect by letting him say the Berkat Amazon for the whole community. You live in a fantastic world today. Today we have Kohanim that they don't even know how to read Berkat Amazon. It's an unbelievable thing. I'm supposed to respect somebody who really can't even be properly respected. And they're aware of that. That's why nine times out of ten, the Kohen will say, Rabbi, please you say Berkat Amazon. If there's a Kohen and a Tamik Chacham, who is supposed to say Berkat Amazon? The Tamik Chacham. Like you go to the Berak Knesset. There's a Kohen and there's a Tamik Chacham. Who gets the first Aliyah? A Tamik Chacham. What do you mean a Kohen goes in front of an Amaharetz? He's a Kohen, he goes in front of a Tamik Chacham. Which kind of reality? Today you don't want to fight with anybody. You don't want to make them, well, you're not a Tamik Chacham, you're a Tamik Chacham. This is a complicated situation. Oh, a Tamik Chacham who's a Levi. I'm a Levi, for example. There's a Minhag. Started in Spain to go wash the hands of the Kohanim. Can a Tamik Chacham wash the hands of an Amaharetz? He's not allowed to. So what do you do? You can say this Kohen is an Amaharetz, this one he's not an Amaharetz, how, how do you not cause fights? So I have a nice thing, I have Baruch Hashem, there's enough Levi'im and Abedah Knesset, I sit in my chair, everyone does Berkat Kohanim. Anyways, I realize that when I go wash the, the Kohanim's hands, everybody starts talking. So it's better I should sit in my chair and everyone's quiet than to go to the back. But this, even though he was allowed to say Berkat Amazon instead of a Kohen, he always let a Kohen have the respect for it's one of the reasons. And there, I never ate from an animal that did not have its matnoteha. What are the matnot of an animal? What does a kohen get from every animal? The forearm, the cheek. You know, this the, the, kohanim, the kohanim get a special parts of animal. Very good. So the kohanim, there is an opinion in the Gemara that says, that until the Kohen takes his part from the animal, you can't eat the animal. Halakha is not like that. That's not, the halakha is not that way. But there is an opinion in the Gemara that way. And therefore he says, I was careful to respect Kohanim. I wouldn't even eat the meat until the Kohanim took their part. So here you find again two types of Hasidut. The first type of Hasidut is he was always in the Bedamidash first. In his relation with the creator of the universe, he was always there first. 
And then you had the second half of his life, which was respect of Kohanim. When I, at Chacham, go in front of a Kohen, what am I telling the Kohen? I am more important than you because you are an Amalek. That hurts. He says, so he would rather not do it, even if he was allowed to, but he would rather not do that out of respect to other people. This was Chasidut on his end. But you find every single case where Chachamim talk about Chasidut, there's Chasidut not only towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but Chasidut also always has a relationship with the way you treat other people, always. When the Ramchal is showing you every place you find Chasidut, you find two-pronged Chasidut. Ben Adam Namakom, between us and the Creator. Ben Adam between us and human beings. Vamuod, and our Rabbi said further, the students of Rabbi Nechunia asked him. He had a lot of rabbis who lived a long life. Why do you live so long? Amar lehem, he tells them, I never received respect out of the disgrace of my friend. That's an interesting statement. I didn't ever get respect by putting someone else down. Are you allowed to put someone else down to get respect? No. no. So what's he telling you here? What's so chasidut about this? So, so, yeah, very good. Even by accident, even in a, in, a, in a matter-of-fact way, he never wanted to receive any type of respect because of somebody else. You know, you see that sometimes. You're sitting in the Bermidash, two people are fighting over something, and the rabbi comes, oh, this one is right. Ah, look at me, I'm so smart. Even that is wrong. Yeah, of course, there's room for this type of competition, but ultimately your friend is degraded because he's wrong, and you come out a hero. He didn't want to be that person. And I never in my life went to bed with the curse of my friend in my mouth. My understanding of this, you know, like in Berkat, uh, the blessing of you say, I forgive everybody, I forgive, I, you forgive everybody before you go to bed. He didn't want to take his fight. They say, don't go to sleep angry. That's okay. You, you're, you're allowed to go to sleep angry. You don't have to make up with everybody before you go to sleep. But Midat Chasidut is not to carry the fights of yesterday into tomorrow. And it explains over there a fascinating story. He was holding his spade. You know what a spade is? Like a shovel. He was holding his tools on his shoulder. Ravchana, the son of Chanilai, comes. Here, here, Rabbi, please give me your, your shovel. I'll clear it for you. Amarle, he tells him, why is he offering him to take his, take his spade for him? Yeah, look, I walk with my rabbi, Ara Peretz, in the streets of Yerushalayim. He's holding a bag. I take his bag. Why should he carry his bag? I'm going to take his bag. Yes? So what does he tell him? Amar he tells him, I am telling you that if where you come from, you would walk around with a spade on your shoulder, I let. You can also carry mine here. But if where you come from, it's not respectful for you to do this, please don't do it over here. When I go to Yerushalayim, I see my rabbi, I kiss his hand. But when I'm with other people, he doesn't let me. In front of them, you're right. It's a different time. If you would do this in front of other people, it would be disrespectful to you. I don't want to receive respect by you carrying my, my spade because it's not respectful to you. I mean, this is something that he's allowed to let somebody else do, but he doesn't want to get even that amount of kavod, that respect, from something that will embarrass somebody else. Even though usually the statement of the degradation of somebody else, normally when you say, I never receive respect from putting down somebody else, it means actively putting down someone else to get respect. And that's normally what you think about. Don't bully other people and then you get, you know, you feel so high and mighty because of it. But for the pious, even if his friend comes and says, listen, Rabbi, I want to carry you back. The Rabbi who is a chassid says, no, I don't want. Because other people will see you, it will disrespect you, it's not good for me. If it will be degrading for his friend. Now, some things are not degrading for another person. It's not embarrassing to carry a shovel for most of us. But if it was, then we wouldn't want even other people 
as chasidim, we want our other people to do us a favor or a respect by denigrating themselves. Connected to this teaching is something else. Before we get there, what we've seen so far is every single case of Hasidut, like this last one. He says two things he does. He doesn't go to bed angry at his friend, and also he doesn't ever get respect from his friend in a way that disgraces his friend. You find over and over and over and over and over and over throughout the Talmud that Hasidim are people who are good, they have good character traits between them and other people. We have today a modern definition of a pious person. A pious person is somebody who's, who's crazy. They don't have any normal relationships with other people, not with their wife, not with their husbands, not with their children, not with their parents, not with their community members, not with their students. Not, they're crazy people. Ah, but why are they strict? Their tzitzit is the longest tzitzit you ever saw in the world. Their kos kiddush, on steroids. They're washing their hands three times water in each halal. Every chumah you can come up with. When it comes to Ben-Adam though, not only are they not being pious, even basic halachot they're not keeping. And that's the problem. The problem is in chasidut. Very often there are people who feel, wow, look at me, I became a chasid. But your chasidut has nothing to do, nothing to do, with actual Jewish chasidut. Professor Abraham Joshua Heschel I don't don't read Rabbi Heschel often but I saw a quote of his where he said that Judaism is the world's least known religion almost nobody knows about Judaism including Jews they think that they observe Judaism but they don't have a clue about what is Judaism people think they're Hasidim but they don't have a clue what it means to be a Hasid what does it mean really to be pious in the writings and the eyes of our rabbis And I was thinking about it recently. There are people who are considered chasidim. And what is supposed to be a chasid? A person who, a person who, who is a strict, not just in mitzvot between him and Hu, between him and other people. Yeah, they're extra kind between them and other people. How does it help to be a chasid if by being a chasid it means you won't marry me and you won't pray with me and you won't eat my food? And you won't let my kids play with your kids. And you won't make a list of things. You won't let my kids go to your school. You won't come to my school. You won't use my sevotola. You won't put on my tefillin. You won't eat my shechita. And still you want to tell me you're a chassid. Somehow you're still a pious person. But it's a mind-blowing thing, just for the record. There are certain groups of Jews. They have their own sevotola. What do you mean own sevotola? Their own handwriting. They're the only people in the world that own handwriting. They have their own tefillin. Nobody else in the world has their tefillin. They have their own shechitah night. Nobody else in the world has shechitah night. They have their own sidu. Nobody else in the world prays that sidu. They have their own. Everything is their own. Meaning, they separated themselves from Am Yisrael completely. And who do they come to complain at? Ah, you don't have enough Abad Yisrael. I don't have enough Abad Yisrael. I would eat your food. I pray in your synagogue. I would let my kid marry your kid. So long as you stay within Judaism. I'm not sure how long it will last. So who are you blaming... You're somehow a chassid, but your chassidut, by default, makes you not a chassid. Because you're lacking any of the fundamental traits of a chassid. The Rambam, there's a famous Mishnah in Masechet Sotah. The Mishnah says that there's four mivale onam, four people who destroy the world. One of them is a chassid shoteh. It's a, it's a good way how to translate shoteh. A righteous idiot or a righteous fool. He's a chassid and it's a shoteh. What does it explain? Rambam says, He is crazy in his righteousness. So what does the Gemara give an example? The Gemara says there are two people. Now one guy is walking down the street and he sees a lady drowning in the river. So what does he do? She says, help, help, she's drowning. What should he do? He should help her. So what does he say? Ah, no. I don't touch women. I'm sorry. I can't. Lady, if there was a lady here, I would send her to help you. But I can't help you. And she drowns. Say, Chachamim, this is a chasid shoteh. What is a chasid shoteh? Because of his righteousness, the world is destroyed. He actively, he thinks he's a tzaddik, but he's really a rasha. He's destroying them. What's the worst part? This is blaming our Torah for his craziness. If you're crazy, you could be crazy. It's not your fault, you're crazy. But if you use our Torah, and you tell people the Torah is what makes you crazy, 
then you're destroying the world and you're destroying Kadosh Baruch reputation. The Rambam, in his commentary in the Mishnah, I wish I had Pirusha Mishnah with the Rambam here. The Rambam writes, okay, almost, uh, what I'm saying, almost by heart. Don't, if you catch me on the camera, you open up a book on your own. The Rambam says, what does it mean, Shoteh B'chassiduto? He says, Zemishe Nimas that because of his chasidut, he already becomes repulsive in the eyes of other people. He's medagdek mitzvot, very particular, but everybody hates him now. Says the Rambam, this person is guilty of destroying the world. When your religion causes everyone to hate you, so then you're not, not are you not just a chasid, you're a chasid shoteh. You're one of the four people who are responsible for destroying the world. Amisa needs to think about this more often. And now you might wonder also why the Rambam's books were burned. Don't be so surprised why they burned the Rambam's book. Because he told many Hasidim in the world that they're Hasidim Shotim. And of course, they didn't appreciate it very much. So what do analphabetic people do when you upset them? They burn the things that you write. So that's exactly what happened with the Rambam. And it explains to you why the Rambam sees so it's so connected for him that your Hasidut cannot bring you to lack of proper relationships with other people. Because to be a Hasid, you need both. You accept? It makes sense to you? Yeah. I once had a rabbi. Still my rabbi. We learned Gemara. Masechet Kiddushin. He gave a shiur. About 35 minutes of the shiur. He gets up, he closes the Gemara, walks out the door. What happened? He says, I'm sitting here for 35 minutes teaching you Gemara. Nobody asked a question. Nobody argues with me. Everybody thinks everything I'm saying is right. You guys don't deserve to learn so much. He left. So I'm asking you, not a lecture. Welcome, argue, say, add whatever you want to add. That's what we're here for. Don't be intimidated from the cameras. Cheva on Zoom, you also can ask questions. I think we live in a world today where we're surrounded by this type of chassid. A chassid shoteh. Somebody who doesn't have the second half of his chassidut. I have a brother-in-law. My brother-in-law, if there's a chassid, my brother-in-law is a chassid. Every shita that you ever thought of in your life in halakha, he's strict about them. You, you kind of, even the ones you didn't know exist, he's strict about them. I'm not exaggerating. When he comes from Eretz Yisrael to visit me in my house, and I tell you know, I have one sink, I one oven, I this, I that, glass, I, not chalav Yisrael, we broccoli, you know, all the avirot, whatever the avirot are, I do all of them. He says, whatever you eat is what I eat. In his house, he would never eat any of the things that he eats in my house. But that's a chassid. He's now here. He's here. This is uh, already. Uh, I, I agree that halakha is halakha. And that halakha cannot impede the way. Only ameharets are the ones that bring their paper plates, they bring special food, double packed. Those are ameharets. He needs to come for Pesach. He needs, <laughs> no, he knows why it's a. Uh, it's, um, he knows not to come here for Pesach. That's okay. That's okay. By the way, this happens all the time. You live already in a mixed world. What do you do? You have guests for Pesach. They don't need kidney You have to be honest with you. You don't trick people. But they also have to know some baseline of halakha, right? If the food at the table had a little bit of chametz inside of it, and it was cooked before Pesach, and that chametz is nullified in 60. Chametz is nullified in 60? Before Pesach. Before Pesach, yes. On Pesach. Afilu be'elif lo No, no. So Ashkenazim is right. You go by Josh, Doug? Josh, Yoshua. Yoshua? Yeah. Yoshua. Yoshua says, Choser Vino. So listen to the halakha. The halakha is, you're making chicken soup. By accident, you drop some breadcrumbs in there. It happens. I don't know how it happens, but it happens. The more likely scenario, I'll tell you the more likely scenario. It's Erev Pesach. You make chicken soup for Pesach in a pot that was used two hours ago for chametz. Hot chametz, yes? So now there's chametz, so supposedly, in the walls of the pot. And the chametz flavor now comes into your chicken soup, correct? But there's more soup than there is biliot, absorption in the pot. So now all of the soup is kasher de pesach. How kasher de pesach is it? 100%. If a person says, I don't want to eat the soup on pesach, why? It doesn't feel right to me. What do you do? This is a chadash. I think he writes. What do you do with a person who does not want to eat something, 
So I don't want to eat something with a little bit of pig. It's batel, I know, but I don't want to eat it. What do you do with him? We excommunicate him from the Jewish community. You don't have the right to say, I don't want to follow Chachamim. Who are you to say that you're more religious than the Chachamim? Who are you? That's something else. Okay, sure. Here he's talking, because of Halakha, he wants to be, uh, he wants to be extra strict. I said maybe if he's a person who's Mukhzak b'chasidut, maybe. But a regular person, you can't just decide, I don't want to eat something. So this chicken soup was made in a chametz pot. It's kasher le-pesach. Okay, what does Ashkenazim say? Explain to me Chozer Veneo. What is Chozer Veneo? Chozer Veneo is magical chametz. How does magical chametz work? The chametz was nullified in 60 on Erev Pesach. But now it's Lera Seder. So what does the chametz do? Chametz on Pesach, even in a thousand, is not nullified. So what happens if a drop of chametz falls into your soup on Pesach? You can't eat it. So what do they do? They say the chametz, he hops out of the soup, and then he jumps back inside the soup, and then he makes the whole soup uh, uh, now chametz. And even then, for an Ashkenazim, it's not mikaradim. It's just, uh, uh, that's what they hope to do. So the difference, what's the major difference? For Sefaradim, we don't care and all the utensils that we, you buy something in a factory, maybe had chametz, doesn't make a difference. So long as what you're eating now, is you go and you buy strawberry jam in the store. Yeah, it could be that they boiled in the same factory breadcrumbs, could be. But what's in front of me now is, is strawberry jam. The kelim, they were batel v'shishi. Now, what about Pesach? Lechat chila. Ideally, you're allowed to cook. So let's say your situation, you're coming to a place, you know all the utensils are chametz. You don't have time to make them all kosher for Pesach. If you cook everything before Pesach in the chametz pot, you can intentionally do that. You can intentionally make your chicken soup with matzah balls for Pesach in a chametz pot, as long as you do it before Pesach. Intentionally. I mean, you're allowed to do it. That's the halakha. How did I get to this? Why am I talking about chuzam and chametz on Pesach? Ah, so now that's with chametz, okay? Now tell me, what is the law with kidniot? that falls into food on Pesach, or even the Chathchila. Ideally, before Pesach, they added kidneyot into the food. Forget the field. I'm giving you an example. You're buying something. It's a tomato sauce. It has a little bit of, I don't know, corn syrup. Imagine. That makes it now forbidden for Ashkenazim on Pesach. Even if it had wheat flour inside of it, it would be okay. Kitniyot can't be stricter than chametz on Pesach. You can't have a Judaism where the, the kitniyot custom is worse than chametz on Pesach. It's just not, it can't be the reality. And so an Ashkenazi guest comes to your house, listen, rice I'm not going to eat. But if your salad dressing had rice, bran, oil, mixed, I, I don't know what, what, what the kitniyot you're using. Then of course they would, a tamich ham was an Ashkenazi, tamich would say, I understand, I don't have to ask about the salad. It's mixed. I don't care. I don't see it. It's but not a different. Doesn't not a problem for me. So I tell him, don't eat rice. I don't have to tell him everything that had oil inside of it that he can't eat. Yeah. The same rule apply. Even though this is purely minhag, is the same rule apply to the common uh, common serving? Oh, Pesach, we're gonna have rice and so on. Oh, no, I don't do it. But that's the minhag. That, that's what I'm telling you. Kidneyot is an old minhag. So and it's very emotional for people. Very emotional. It's un- unlogically, like illogically emotional. So I, t- I tell people, this is rice, don't eat the rice. But I don't tell them that that over there, why do you care? Whatever you can see, you can see. Whatever you can't see, it's not a problem for him. I would never feed a person something they can't eat. But the things that are mixed in their batel, barov, it's even a majority, kidnot is not prohibited, even for Ashkenazim. So it doesn't have to have 60 to be nullified. If your person is tamich life is not so complicated. But when they're when they're amehaaretz, life becomes very complicated. What does Rabbi Akiva say? First he was amaaretz, then he said, if anyone will give me a tamich I'll bite him like a donkey. Right? Remember Rabbi Akiva said that? Chachamim and Masechet Pesachim they talk about what do they do if you would give them an amaaretz. One chacham says, give me an amaaretz and I will do shechita on him. And that one says, no, I would never do shechita. He's not even an animal to do shechita. You just rip out his throat. No, says, no, you don't rip out his throat. You could just eat him alive like you eat a fish because a fish is not chayim v'shechita. You could just... Now, why Chachamim are talking this, this intensely about Amei Haaretz? When Chachamim talk about Amei Haaretz, they're not talking about people who don't know any better. That's not Amei Haaretz. 
That's a miskin. Miskin, a person who doesn't know anything. He was raised, nobody taught him anything. That's not amalit. It's miskin. An amalit is a person who intentionally doesn't know things. Their whole existence in Judaism, I'm Orthodox. I've never read Shukhan in my life. Guess what? You're an amalit. Glorified amalit. You're a special amalit. How, how do you say you keep kasher? And I tell you, here's a Shukhan which volume of Shulchan Aruch? I'm not asking you to show me where. Just read it to me. Translate. Just show me which one of those books has in it the laws of Kashrut. Oh, you don't know? So how do you tell me you keep kosher? If you, know, you don't keep kosher. How do you, I uh, have a driver's license, but I never took a driving test. How do you decide you keep... How are you all of a sudden a licensed driver? I'm a lawyer, but I never went to law school. How do you keep... I never learned laws of Shabbat. It just can't be. I don't, I don't know the laws of Shabbat. So you're not, you're not a, a Jew that's observant of Halakha. You're a parrot. There's a parrot in the store. He also knows how to repeat everything other people do. But he doesn't have any brains. Chachamim, look at Ameha Agatha. People who willfully decide to be ignorant. It's a generation today where people come and ask a rabbi a question. What's the question? Rabbi, am I allowed to do this? Okay, you ask the person. Tell me why yes and tell me why not. They have no idea what you're talking about. When a person used to come and ask a chacham a question, the, the assumption was, I understand my question. I'm just not sure which way to decide. So I need your help. Which direction do I go? Yeah. The Rambam says in the Mishnah, make for yourself a rabbi. What's the purpose of having a rabbi? What's the purpose? Why? Meaning, when you're learning Torah, you, know, you can't be an ignoramus. When you're learning Torah and you come across two opinions, whatever it is, there's a machloket here between two rishonim. You don't know what to do. And you're trying with your, everything that you know to decide, but you can't make a decision. So you go to a tamikacham that you trust, somebody who knows you. He said, Rabbi, could you please help guide me through these opinions? Which one is better for me? But to outsource your brain to somebody else, that you don't know anything, and all you will do is ask questions all day long, simple things that are written already in the Mishnah Torah, simple things that are written already in Shulchan Aruch, you're still asking rabbis those questions. It's okay, when you begin learning, fine. But how many years can you do that for? How many, when you're young and you're in your early years of learning Torah, fine. But at a certain point, you have to take responsibility for something. What's the two rabbis for convenience sake? Yeah, I don't know. They go for this one and for that. Is that allowed? 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 But what's the idea? Well, the idea is you're going to a person that you trust, who knows you, who understands the way you think. People, I have people in New York. My wife belongs to some Hasidic recipe group in New York. I don't know what, how it happened, but one time was like a week before Pesach, 3 o'clock in the morning, my, uh, New York Times, so that's 12 o'clock in the morning, our time, some lady made cupcakes for Pesach with potato starch, whatever they make cupcakes with. And these cupcakes, she realized she put them inside of you know those um, papers they put the cupcakes in? What are they? Liners? The liners were kasher, but not kasher de Pesach. Now, she's now panicked because it's like a night before Pesach. She doesn't know what to do. This whole meal is resting on these cupcakes. She needs to call a rabbi, but all the rabbis in New York are sleeping. So what does she do? She puts on one. Anyone know a rabbi you can ask a question to? So somebody put out my name, and this lady calls me. Is it okay? The man said, this person doesn't know me. I don't know then. It would nothing to do with each other. How do you just call me and whatever I say, you rely on me? It's very unusual. I mean, you don't know who I am. For all you know, I'm some clown. And How do you know? It's not normal. That's the way the Judaism... Well, rabbis, I go here, I shop over there. Yeah, Tamika Kham is a person. I had my students in Israel when they uh, went to the army. And they said, we have halachot, you have to ask about the army, about Shabbat. I said, listen, when you go ask a chacham about halachot, they're connected to the army, do me a favor. Only ask a rabbi those questions if he believes in the value of what you're doing. If he thinks you don't belong in the army, then don't ask him questions about Shabbat in the army because for him, everything you do is an avirah. You have to make sure you go to a rabbi who respects your service in the military, something important. In that frame of mind, he understands you, understands what you're doing, and he understands that you want to keep Shabbat. You have to go to a person who knows you. So we're far away from that world, but that's the world where we're striving to go back to. What does it say about the generation of Chizkiyahu HaMelech? What was his generation like? There's an old piyut that says, What's so special about the generation of Chizkiyahu? Anyone know? Anyone on Zoom know what was so special about the generation of Chizkiyahu HaMelech? It says even the little children know the most difficult halachot. 
I say Midan at Be'er Sheva, from all of Israel, north, south, you can grab any child on the street and ask him a question in the laws of Yisur Veter, uh, uh, laws of Tahara and Tuma. Any question you had in Halakha, you could ask a child and they knew the answer to it. Chistiyah Melech accomplished that by very violent means. Do you remember what he did? He led a reform in Jewish education. How did he do it? Abayit, what did he do? He put swords in every entrance way and uh, showed people what would happen if they didn't learn. That's right. He took swords and he said, listen, either you learn Torah or... And people learn Torah. And you had a generation where every single person, every child, man and woman, knew Torah. That's the generation we're hoping, not with the swords, you could skip the swords part. But the generation we're hoping for is when someone comes to ask a rabbi a question, they know something when they're asking a question. And I respect that people don't know everything, so we help them. Even I don't know everything, so that's how it works. But you have to, every day, be growing more and learning more. If someone tells me I learned Torah, how many hours a day does a person learn Torah? According to the Rambam, how many hours a day do you have to learn Torah? So you have to learn minimum day and night. Chachamim say a little bit in the morning, a little bit at night. But what's the quantity that Rambam writes in the laws of Talmud Torah? Four hours. That's how many hours you're allowed to work. Nine hours. Nine hours. Thank you, Rabbi Yosef. Nine hours a day, the Rambam says, an average balabite, a regular person learns for nine hours a day, and he works for three hours a day. That's what Rambam writes. Yeah, no Facebook. That was before. That was before uh, Netflix. Whatever I don't. Know, whatever else people are busy with. That's how you learn Torah. Nine hours a day is a regular person learning Torah, and that's why Chachamim says, A person should spend a day, a third learning Tanakh, a third learning Gemara, a third learning Halakha. That was the order of learning. If you look in the laws of Talmud Torah and the Shulchan Aruch, Maran writes that a person he writes this Halakha, and the Shach over there says, Shach as an Ashkenazi rabbi. Shach says. If a person only has three or four hours a day, let's bring it. Why don't I bring the laws of Talmud Torah? Barry, when you scratch your head later and wonder why we're doing this, it's because it came up. <laughs> This book is a misprint, and it's missing like 200 pages. Yeah, it's, it goes from page 56 to page 217. Unless it's randomly printed in the wrong place somewhere else. No? Okay, well, for whatever reason, I didn't want to see the Shulchan Aruch inside. The Shach, he writes, if a person only has Gimel o Dalet Sha'od Biyom, only three or four hours a day to learn Torah. And so what does he do? Three or four hours a day is uh, like the lowest of the low guys, like the, the, the people who, who barely are scraping the bottom of the barrel learning three or four hours a day. And they only have three or four hours a day to learn Torah. Then, if they learn Gapat, what is Gapat? What's Gapat? What does learning Gapat mean? Gemara, Gimel is Gemara. It's an Ashkenazi acronym, guys. Pirush Rashi, and Tosafot. So they sit and they learn Talmud three or four hours a day. Not just like Dafyomi, you know, like reading through the bit. Someone told me now they do five minute Dafyomi. I don't know how you do, I don't know how you do one hour Dafyomi, so I'm not sure how people do five minute Dafyomi. But uh, let's say you do Dafyomi. Three hours a day you're learning Gemara, Rashi, Tosafot. It's a, it's a serious, intense study of Gemara. Whether it's how I learn Gemara or not, it's not important. But that study of Gemara is important. Says the Shach, Lo Torah klan. A person did not fulfill the obligation of learning Torah at all. So if you sit down and learn three or four hours a day Gemara, real Gemara, three or four hours a day, Says the Shach, you didn't even fulfill your minimum obligation of learning Torah. What about Halakha? People tell me, what do I do? I learn, I learn a little bit of this, I learn a little bit of that, I read this book, I read that book. I understand you want to learn all these books. What about the Tanakh? And what about Halakhot? You have books you have to finish. You have to know the Tanakh. You have to know, 
if Shulchan Aruch is hard because it's, there's not a translation into English, Mishnah Torah. Take a 14 volume of Mishnah Torah and spend your life studying the Mishnah. How much time will it take you? You can even skip half the Mishnah Torah. Half of it, Korbanot, you don't have to do all of it. But the laws of Shabbat, the laws of prayer, the laws of Tevilin, Mizuzot, all of those things, how long will it take you to learn it? You have to spend your life learning it until the point you don't have any questions. The basic things you know already. Who gave you the right to read another book? Because, oh, and now I'm studying Kabbalah. Bereshit, you didn't study. Kabbalah, you're studying now? Oh, I'm studying now. Uh, they put out a new cycle. Of, why are you learning now that book before you learn Halachot? Musal. When is it for now? You learned Tanakh. You learned uh, Halachot. Where is your Musal? You have to now be a human being. Where do you learn that from? Are you spending time to be a better person? Real time, real work. The Siddur that you pray every day. You study the Siddur well. You know where all the Tefillot come from. You know the different words, the meanings, the ideas. Now sometimes you sit in Siddiqot, for example, and you read this P.U.D.M. and you wonder, where did these words come from? So, if you didn't study Siddiqot yet, now it's time to sit down and learn all of those words. Which Pesuchim they're referring to, which Midrashim they're referring to. A person has a lot of work to do as a Jewish person. You don't have time to waste on the things that are not important. Look, in the beginning of Sadi Sharim, I took a tangent, guys. It's a tangent in a tangent, okay? We're, we're, that's just the way that this class works. It says, I don't normally use this without the Shalim. Yeah. Says the Ramchal in the introduction to the Masad Shalim. What will we answer in the day of judgment, says the Ramkar? If that we stopped studying these works of Musar, the things that we have to work, belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Emunah, Midot, character traits, what are we going to answer when we didn't study those books? And we've ignored, neglected entirely something which is really our obligation. What does it say, Moshe Rabbeinu say? What does God ask for you? What, tell me the Pasuk. Yeah, I, I said it correctly. Yeah, God is asking to fear Him. That's the primary mitzvah. God is asking us from how many of us spend time studying books which bring us to Yerat Shammai? What are we going to do? We neglect what HaKadosh will ask us to do. Does it make sense to you that we're going to spend our life studying intellectual things that are, 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 we're not obligated to study? All of the yeshivot in the world today are studying pilpulim. Pilpulim, if you speak Arabic, you say bilbulim. It's nothing, pilpulim are a waste of time. People spend their whole life, people, they think it's the epitome of yeshiva learning. The only thing people does to you is it liquefies your brain and doesn't allow you to think through Torah properly. Who commanded you to have a crooked brain? You're commanded to have yeshua, to think through things clearly. People, amiti, maybe. Asher lo shum We're learning things that nothing will come out of it. You spend your whole life in yeshiva. What happens if a... Uh, ox gores a cow like this what's going to help you what's going to but, but it's help you for what and we learn halachot which are not relevant to us people want to the details of the korbanot who cares right now you don't know how to keep Shabbat what are you busy learning about the Bet Mikdash right now you have to learn something and that which we actually owe our creator we're going to leave it just to rote the way we do things, that's the way we do things. And we will leave it to be mitzvat anashim ilumada. Where's mitzvat anashim ilumada from? Who, who rebukes Amisad for this? Mitzvat anashim ilumada. Very good. Nabi Shayao, he rebukes Amisad. 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to destroy Am Yisrael because they come to worship him only out of routine. I come to Minya, I come to I have to pray, I pray. I put on tefillin, I don't think about anything, I just do it because I have to. This type of service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I do things the way everybody else around me is doing them. Mitzvat anashim and we just learn it from the people around us. This type of Judaism, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is willing to destroy the world and not have those types of Jews around. This is a Ramchal. How can you let the most important things in life just you do them the way everybody else does them? And the things that are not important, you spend all your time studying them. After 120 years, you come up to Bogayonam. He says, so what did you spend time learning? He tell oh, I learned a little bit of this, I learned a little bit of that, I finished this Bible. He said, I didn't ask you to read any of those books. Did you learn the things that I told you to learn yet? Did you do the things I told you to do yet? Did you observe them? It's what I asked you to observe yet. If the answer to all those questions are no, so what do you want to do? Give us extra credit points, but we failed the test. It's like I got all the bonus questions right, but the whole, the whole test, I got a zero on it. What's going to help? You get 20 extra credit points, so now you got a 20. What kind of passing grade is 20? You fail. That's what happens. Life is the same way. I know that people tell you, no, it's not going to be like that. I understand. He is, in chapter 4, Ramchal talks a lot about divine justice and divine compassion being connected with each other. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides to do with every person after 120 years is up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But from what he told us in this world is that we have certain obligations in the world. And those certain obligations, we have to do them. We don't have a choice. And, and understanding that those things are more important than other things. You sometimes see people, they get stuck on Judaism. I once met a Tamikham who said, everything that was written in the last 350 years, just throw it in the trash. Not disrespectfully, just don't read it. It's a waste of time. Everything before that, you have to study I'll say it in a positive way. Hara Peretz always says, the things that Am Yisrael agree about, we agree HaKadosh Baruch Hu is real. We agree He gave us the Torah and Sinai. We believe in the divinity of the Tanakh. We believe in the authenticity of the Mishnah and the authority of the Talmud. We accept the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch. After that, everything is up in the air. Are you a Kabbalist? Are you not a Kabbalist? Are you a Chassid? Are you a Mitzvah? Are you a All those things, I don't know the answer to those things. But all the things that Am Yisrael agree up, Shulchan Aruch, up until then. So, Tanakh, Mishnah, Talmud, Mishneh Torah, Shulchan Aruch. Spend your life learning those books. Everything else, you have extra time in life, you could do them. Until then, that's what you focus your life on. How can you be a Hasid if you don't even build a building first? I want to just end off this paragraph here. Actually, we're already... Let me finish one more paragraph and we'll end it for the night. This is exactly what Rabbi Zerah said. Rabbi Zerah, he taught a famous teaching that still antagonizes us until today. What did Rabbi Zerah say? You want to remember Masechet Ketubot? No, not this one. Rabbi Zerah, Masechet Ketubot, Kuf Yud Aleph, famous Gemara. Someone think of Neturi Karta in Mach Shema. something about Israel. Rabbi Zerah writes that it's forbidden for Jews. That a Jewish people can go up to... Eretz Israel nowadays until the Mashiach comes. Yeah? It's a play on the Pasuk uh, uh, that you should not. You can't wake up the love until the Kadosh is ready. And this is a piece of Agarata. No Posek, not the Rambam, not Shukhanu. Nobody codifies this as a halakha. I have a class on the YouTube playlist on this uh, Gemara. Rabbi Zerah himself, by the way, later on seems to retract this opinion. But didn't stop the Natura Karta from hanging out with our buddies. So I'm not saying anything bad about Rabbi Zerah, just manipulation of an agadata to justify a political agenda. I was never overly strict in my house. What do you mean? A person is allowed to be have authority in their home? What does the Gemara say? You can't put extra fear inside of your home, but a little bit of fear. Your kids are allowed to be afraid of you. A husband and a wife. They have uh, these Shlom Bayit books that go around the Jewish world today. I'm not even sure if they need Geniza. You could probably just skip the Geniza after that. There's one rabbi, you probably all have his books, what can I tell you? And he writes in there, if your wife comes and she hits you on the head with a baseball bat, say, Baruch Hashem, it's all from HaKadosh Baruch And if your husband comes and he throws you against the wall, ah, Baruch Hashem, it's all from HaKadosh This kind of crazy attitude, it gets people killed. If your husband is beating you with a baseball bat, you have to call the police and get out of there. What kind of crazy reality? Everything, everything's from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Not everything. Yeah. What does Shalom Amalek say? In Ivelet Adam, Tesalev Darko, 
the the pervert a person's crookedness will destroy their way. But who do they blame? Akadosh Bahu. You do everything wrong, but who do you blame? Akadosh Bahu. Someone's uh, driving on the highway, 120 miles an hour. They crash, they die. You go to the Levaya. This person killed himself. He thought, oh, I'm a hero. I can drive to LA 95 miles an hour. Big deal. Him? You can't even say Kadisha about him. Well, he killed himself. Ah, but. Don't stand there at the funeral and say, Adonai Natan, Adonai Lakach. Don't, don't lie. Akadosh Bahu didn't take him away. You took him away. A person has to know that the real emunah and the Kadosh Baruch is real. It's not a, we don't live in fantasy land. It's not a candy land Judaism. Judaism is real. A person, remember this person, a person can make mistakes, but then don't blame your mistakes on the Kadosh Baruch People say, oh, look at Israel. Israel is this and it's that, and that's why it's not from a Kadosh Baruch The state of Israel has a lot of problems. I, if anyone wants to make a list of problems with the state of Israel, you can come hang out with me after the shul. But just because there are problems, doesn't mean it's not a gift from a Kadosh Baruch HaKadosh Baruch gave us a gift, and we made problems. That's how it works. That's always how uh, Jewish history works. HaKadosh Baruch took us out of the desert, we made problems. We made problems. HaKadosh Baruch gave us a Torah, and we made problems. That's how Am Yisrael works. But don't blame HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Peretz once said, imagine you're sitting with a, a respectable person. I don't know. The president, the mayor, I don't, I don't know who you respect. And you see a fly is buzzing around him, and lands on his nose. You smack the fly to kill him. The, the guy's going to be very upset with you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you a gift. There's a fly. Don't smack HaKadosh Baruch Hu because there's a fly in the room. Rabbi Zeran is saying, you're allowed to have authority in your home, but I chose not to fight inside of my house. I never walked in front of a person who's greater than me. These are halakhot, also in the laws of Talmud Torah, respect for one's rabbi, that there are ways in which you walk with, you walk with your rabbi in the street. You don't walk in front of him. Which side of him do you stand? There are halakhot, which side of him do you stand? There's two of you. Which side does which one stand? Who's the greater one? Who's the smaller one? And forward, a little bit back. I never walked in front of somebody who was greater than me. And I never thought about Torah in dirty places. There's a prohibition about that. So why is that such a big deal? Okay, the different Mefarshim discuss this. Uh, but really it's because it seems that it's difficult for a person to turn off their brain. You ever tried to stop thinking about something? In the mental health field, they call it an obsessive thought. Once you think about something, you try to stop thinking about it, but that's another way of thinking about it. Yes? There's a halakha in tefillah. You're in the middle of Amidah, you think about a distraction. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to stop and let it pass. Yeah? What, what, what is the hand? <laughs> you stop, you let it pass. Rabbi Nachman of Breslev makes an interesting observation. I don't know if it's like him, but the emet is like him. He says, stopping to wait for the thought to pass, the thought will never pass. Just keep praying and it will pass. It's interesting. And then he said, what about the tefillah? You said some tefillah without kavanah. He said, b'levish. A person thinks many thoughts. HaKadosh Baruch knows how to take which tefillot were kavanah. He knows how to sift me. HaKadosh Baruch is allowed to do borer in your tefillot. He can do it. It's a siman shir yutet, right? Uh, now, we're here. He's finishing up and he says, V'lo halachti. I never walked for Amot without Torah and Tevilin. Are you allowed to sleep in the Bet Midrash? Ask Al Khanan. If you're a Tamid Chacham, you're allowed to sleep in the Bet Midrash. That's why he's sleeping. If you're a Tamid Chacham, you're allowed to sleep in the Bet Midrash. A regular person, not allowed to sleep there. But even though he was a Tamid Chacham, he didn't sleep, even a temporary sleep. I was never happy when my friends. Stumbled. And I never called my friend again with a nickname. Why he changes the word? It's interesting. I'm the talk about it. Says the Ramchal, you have now found examples of all the types of chasidut that I mentioned above. Rabbi Yehuda says, If a person wants to be a chasid, you should learn Masechet Barachot. What's in Masechet Barachot? Brachot, Tefillah, Berakneset, all of those things are Meaning, you want to be pious, you should become pious in the laws of Tefillah, Berachot, and Berakneset. That's between you and HaKadosh Baruch And some say, A person should learn the laws of Nizakin. What is Nizakin? All those laws of damages, what are they there for? To teach you to learn how to act between you and other people. I think the number one place where people fight has to do with money. 
Imagine if Am Yisrael knew what they were supposed to do with each other's money. And some say, to learn the words of Pirkei Avot. Why? Because over there it includes all types of chasidut. Chasidut ben adam makom and chasidut ben adam I think from today's shiur, and we may or may not do one more class at the Ramachal next week, but right after that we'll jump back into the writings of Rav Kook. That it's important for a person to understand when we say chasidut, what are we striving towards? It's perfection on all levels. Not perfection in an, in an impossible way. But it's a, a refinement. I'll use that word. Refinement, not just bin adam makom. It's very easy to decide, I'm not opening up soda cans on Shabbat because it's forbidden to make other. That's very easy. What's much harder is say, I want to be strict in kibbun avay. I want to be strict in the way I speak with my wife or my husband. I want to be strict in the way that I treat other people in the bit of Knesset, especially the ones I don't like. I want to be strict. Those are much more difficult areas of life. And the way you show chasidut is in those areas also. Don't forget HaKadosh Baruch But in those areas in particular that are more difficult, and you find that all the chasidim of the past were careful to be chasidim in both directions. Thank you for learning with me now. We'll continue next week on Thursday night. God willing.